0: Friends, uh, today is the start of our sacrifice offertory for the year. Uh, each year, we have uh, we normally have a period in time where we ask people to give towards uh, ministry, give financially towards uh, the ministry here at Tom's. Traditionally, what we've done is we've had uh, two things. One part of the sacrifice offertory is towards. Uh, ministry paid ministry team and building or expanding the team or maintaining it. Uh, the other part has been towards uh, some sort of special project. This year we want to think more broadly as we come to the sacrifice offer tree and thinking how do I partner in the mission that Christ has given us here at Tom's. Money is an important aspect that opens up opportunities but giving of ourselves is critical to our partnership in God's work and giving of ourselves in that partnership, that'll be the focus today. In the next two weeks we'll pick up and think more specifically. One will be a sermon about just thinking about giving of our physical resources and then just thinking about our pledges towards next year and considering what we hope to give financially. But today it's really our partnership together. What do I do? How do I get my hands dirty in this mission that Christ has given us? Where do I get skin in the game? And there's three things that I think it's helpful for us to remember and to keep in mind. They're the three points on the outline. First is that we're partnering for the long haul. So we want to get some sort of sense of scope of the length of the mission. Secondly, it's partnering as free slaves. And that's uh, thinking about the the uh, commitment to the mission. And thirdly, is partnering smartly in what lasts forever. We need to be a body working together because the people from ropes to the river can't be reached by us all doing the identical thing. It'll be reached with 300 of us, 300 plus of us, uniting together in the one mission and each person playing their part or parts in it. So as we commence our sacrifice offertory for the year, we're drawing to the end of our Vision 2022 series. And I pray that the various parts of our vision will be coming together for us and opening doors for us to see the opportunities that we have to partner together in our mission of making disciples among the 40,000 people. That live between ropes, from ropes crossing uh, to the Nephnean River. So let me pray for us and uh, we'll keep rolling. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you that we can gather around your word. Help us to think through your mission and how we can be partners together in that work. Father, help us to reflect on ourselves, our own thinking, our own understanding, and who we are, that we might be able to get our hands dirty. And, uh, and also be challenging, equipping, enabling one another uh, to do the mission work that you've given to us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so what's the work that we've been given to do? It's making disciples of all nations. Making disciples is seeing people uh, transferred from the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of light, into Jesus' realm. Therefore, what do we do? We point people to Jesus. That's the focus. That's what we attempt to have as a focus in all we do, point people to Jesus. And that is all served up on a bed of prayer because we long for God to save and raise people to new true life in Jesus. Therefore, we ask him to do that work. And because we long for everyone to turn and follow him, Uh, knowing their struggle to do that because of sin, we ask God to help them turn and follow him. And of course, we're part of the answer of that prayer, aren't we? By pointing people to Jesus. And we express that in our four Tom's prayers. The together one, we're praying that God would gather us together in various places throughout this area. We pray that God would transform us into a people with a passion, for those who are lost in the dominion of darkness. We pray that God would transform our thinking and understanding that he'd be maturing us through his word, the Bible, that we would be a people united and committed to his mission. And we pray that God would transform us into a people who together, partner together, challenge one another, equip one another, encourage and enable one another to be engaged in that mission and that ministry that we've been given to do by our Lord Jesus. And so Romans 15, as we come to that, reminds us that this partnering in mission is for the long haul. Romans chapter 15, verse 5, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement... So it's endurance. Endurance and encouragement are needed. The mission goes on and the mission is hard work. We're engaged in a mission and the forces of this broken world, the sinful nature of ourselves, the sinful natures of others, and the devil all stand opposed to Christ and his mission and therefore his people. But the key to standing together in Christ's For the long haul is in the rest of verse 5. May God give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. As we stand together putting on the clothing, the, the characteristics, the servant attitude of Christ, their God is glorified. The truth of God is displayed. And it's having that attitude strengthens us to keep going for the long haul together in his mission. As we remember the God who so loved this world that that while we were standing in rebellion, rebellious defiance against him, this God sent his one and only son into the world to bear the sin of his chosen people to take God's wrath upon himself so that the chosen ones could be raised to new and true life in him. How total a different attitude that is to the one that we see us running with most of the time. When someone's in rebellion against me, what, what do I do? What do you do when someone's in rebellion against you? One, you either ignore them. Or two... You want to get something out of them. You want to get some sort of apology, recompense. Usually you can't even articulate what it is, but we want something out of them, then we'll be satisfied. And when we stood waving our fists, standing in rebellion against God, rightfully deserving his wrath and condemnation, what does God do? Sends his one and only son into the world to die on the cross, to bear the wrath, that we deserve for our sins to offer us eternal life. Paul says at this end of this glorious letter, having articulated the wonders of that gospel, he urges us back to having the attitude of Christ toward one another. That will encourage us and help us to endure as we trust in him over the long haul and for the long haul, uh, look what verse 13 says. The God of hope fills you with all joy and peace as we trust in him. As we trust in him is believing in and acting upon the things he says. And trusting in him, it goes on to say, we may overflow with hope. even in the most trying of circumstances. How? By the power of the Holy Spirit. And what's the Holy Spirit's role? Keep reminding us of the truth of the Lord Jesus, of God's love for us as Christ went to the cross in our place. See that loop bringing us back around We put on the attitude of Christ. When it's tough, we go back to the cross and reminded of his attitude. strengthens us to endure and keep trusting and keep living that attitude out. Friends, we're partnering together for the long haul. And every one of us, every person who has new life in Christ, not only has a part to play in the mission of Christ, uh, but one of the, the, the astounding things or one of the liberating things is We're all able to play a part in the mission of Christ. So verse 14, if you are in Christ, if you've put your faith in Jesus, what does Paul say about you? You are full of goodness. You are filled with knowledge. You are competent to instruct one another. It's important for us to to realize, to to know that, that we are... Full of goodness. What's the goodness that we're full of? Well, the Lord Jesus is transforming work in us, putting on those clothes. Uh, we're filled with knowledge. What's the knowledge that we're full of? Well, if you've become a Christian, you know what? You know that God made us and that we were in rebellion against him, deserving his wrath, but then Jesus died on the cross, took that wrath for us, rose again and offers us new life, which we've received. You might not be able to put it together as... Bang, 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 quickly as that, but you, you, you actually have that knowledge. Because you wouldn't have turned to Christ without it. So you're full of goodness, goodness you're filled with knowledge, and you're able to, you're competent, you're able to instruct one another. Which, in mean, some terms, when we think about instructing one another, it's hard to get over our teacher-student mindset. Because the, the teacher, you know, the teacher's always the smartest one in the room, right? They've got stuff to impart to you, so you learn from them. But actually, when we think about life, we're always learning, aren't we? The person who taught me to enjoy the little things of life was someone who could neither walk nor speak. My cousin Annie, who had spina bifida and then fell over when she was about three and was in a wheelchair all my memory of her life. The greatest... I've never barely have ever seen anyone more delighted than any when she got given a cardboard box. And she would rip it and bang it and throw it and she would scream with the greatest delight you've ever heard. It was sobering. It taught me a lot as a little boy. Friends, you are full of goodness, filled with knowledge and you are competent to instruct one another, not because you're the smartest dude in the room or the smartest lady in the room, but because you know the Lord Jesus. And as you trust in him, as you live that out, as you put on those clothes, you are able to instruct others. So God uses all of us. Chapter 15, verse 14, I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge and competent to instruct one another. These little uh, slogans, it, it's not, a, not a, uh, a Bible quote, but it's a, a summary of things. Every member a minister. Every person who's part of the body of Christ is a minister of the gospel. Every one of us who is in Christ can point people to Jesus. Jesus even says people who aren't in him can point, point them to him. From what I understand, when I was a Teen Ranch, the guy that did the talks that week when I became a Christian isn't actually a Christian himself. We can point people to Jesus and we can pray. And not only can we, but God wants to use each one of us to prayerfully point others to Jesus. If you're not a Christian and you've been wondering about the the Christian life or maybe you're a newer Christian and gone, it's so awesome that Jesus died and forgives me I can have new life in him. It's really important to realise being a Christian is not an armchair ride. It's not just, hey, thanks, thanks, Jesus, you've, you've covered all that. I'll just do what I like now. But he actually brings us in. We've talked about being adopted and there's an inheritance of ours, but we're adopted as part of the family into the family business, which is to see people transferred from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of light. That's our family business as Christians. So we want to keep asking the questions. We're talking about disciples making disciples and that process going on and on and on until Jesus returns. How can I help? Is our question. How can I help others on the path of being a disciple who makes more disciples? Now, the easy answer is point back to Jesus. Christian or non-Christian? Because we want the non-Christians to know the wonder of the truth of the gospel, and we want our Christian brothers and sisters and ourselves to keep putting on the attitude of Christ. So we want to keep taking one another back to him. So it could be a simple conversation after church. It could be praying for the neighbour next door. They may not even know that you've been praying for them all these years. Hopefully they do because you get an opportunity to talk to them, speak to them or invite them to something. It might be showing love and kindness to the person you bump into at the supermarket. Well, I was going to say the crazy ant thing, but it's not a crazy ant thing. It's just a natural overflow thing. She talks to everybody, talks to everybody anyway, but talks to the, the girls in the shop that are serving her and when they have, tell her they're having a bad day, can I pray for you? And gives them a little card with scripture encouragement. We're in contact with people every day. We ought to keep praying for opportunities to let the goodness overflow, the attitude of Christ to overflow, the knowledge, pray for opportunities to share the knowledge of Jesus, bearing the wrath of God for our sins, for our salvation, knowing that we can instruct people, we can help nudge others along by pointing them back to Jesus. And it's awesome because it's, Ordinary people can do it. In fact, ordinary people are the who is called in to be part of it, doing this extraordinary work. We praise God that it's not dependent on people that we set apart to do ministry. That'd be a disaster. That'd be left to just people like me. What a pick! What we get into then? Right? We we're in this together. And it is no ordinary thing though, is it? Here are people trapped in darkness and God is transferring them out of that kingdom into the kingdom of his son. Doing it as transferring people as we speak God's word, as we point them to Jesus, as we pray for them. And do you know how the transforming then takes place? The same way. Ordinary people speaking God's word, pointing people back to Jesus and praying for one another. Turn over now to 1 Corinthians 9. 1 Corinthians 9 is helpful in helping us understand the connection between partnering in God's work and how we relate to people, uh, whether they're Christians or non-Christians. And so uh, I've got there as the the, the heading for the point, partnering as free slaves. Uh, Look at verse 19 of 1 Corinthians 9. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. I am free and I belong to no one. There's the liberation that comes with the gospel. Yet I make myself a slave to everyone. There's the compulsion and the urgency of eternity. But notice it's voluntary. I voluntarily make myself a slave to others. And why? Well, life isn't about me. Paul keeps coming back to winning as many as possible not for notches on a belt, not for a promotion to higher honours within the, the church of God, but that people might be saved for eternity. And with that, it creates a flexibility to life. So listen as I read verses 20 to 23 again. And You don't need the detail of uh, who a Jew is or who the law is, but you can get the flexibility in how he lives his life out through the verses. I've become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessings. Again, it sounds a bit like, wow, he just wants to get some rewards. What are the blessings, in the blessings? It is the fellowship of the redeemed. The blessings of the gospel are God's people gathered around the throne of God. That's what he wants to share in. He's already a part of that because he's in Christ and he wants others to share that with him. Friends, I've used the lifeboat image a few times over the last few months, that God's people are those saved from the sinking ship. There's people all in the water everywhere and if you are in Christ, you're in the lifeboat. You know what, if you're in the lifeboat, you're free because you've been saved Now you're free. You can make life, you can labour hard in the lifeboat or you can make life hard for others in the lifeboat or you're free to jump overboard, jump out of the lifeboat. You jump out, that's devastating for you and it's heartbreaking for us. If you make life hard, In the lifeboat, it cripples us and the mission and Christ's mission and it's disastrous for our world and the people around us. You labour as a free slave in the lifeboat, God is glorified, and we can expect to see people saved and one for Christ. So how are you going using how are you going to use your freedom? Going to use your freedom. I'm going to skip over these slides. Let me get right to the end of it. Okay. Here's a slide. We've got our theology. What do we what's our understanding of the Bible and what it teaches? What's our understanding of God? That's across the top. Down the side, we've got culture. What's going on around us? The question is: what do you hold tightly to and what are you allowed to? to change and go into flux over time. What you find is down in the bottom bottom left where it says dying churches, they just hold on to their culture. They hold on to what they do and they won't change that for the life of them, but they'll change their thinking about their theology, their understanding about God. But they'll keep doing things the way they always have. Then you've got the jellyfish churches. What does a jellyfish do? sort of... The jellyfish churches, they just change everything to suit in the hope that someone will be happy. So they keep changing what they think and what they teach and how they understand the Bible based on whatever the latest fad is in the world. Air raid shelters don't change anything of anything ever. Right? We bunker down. You've seen You may have seen those movies where someone's locked in an air raid shelter and they come out 50 years later and somehow they're still 16 and the whole world's moved on 50 years. You may have gone on holidays or you may have been there and gone into that church and gone, wow, I'm in another world. Gospel churches and what we want to be, we laugh but we've got to be careful because I'm sure we stray into those three boxes at times. But what we want to be doing is holding firm to the truth of the Scriptures, working hard to make sure we've got our theology right and not being shaken from that. But to keep asking the question, like Paul did, how do we do things in this day and age? How How do I do things in a way that's helpful to reach those that we're in contact with? You don't do what we did. We we mentioned this the other night, my wife and I. We were on a beach mission. So we were running mission in a caravan park uh, up on the central coast. And we used to have a big dinner where we'd invite everyone from the caravan park to come to dinner and we'd share the gospel with them that night. Uh, There were a bunch of Jewish people staying in the park that year. Do you know what we served up dinner? People who are chuckling know that Jewish people don't eat pork. Now, young inexperienced cooks shouldn't have been cooking pork to start with because it was horrible, but how? it's just going to be offensive straight away. We still needed to preach exactly the same gospel, but we didn't need to serve that up. That's was only going to get in the way. Anyway, sixth term in our theology... E-news two weeks ago, the link I put on, there was an interview on that with a pastor who's now a bishop over in New Zealand. He's asking these questions and trying to wrestle through it. So if you go back to E-news from two weeks ago, have a listen to that interview. You'll hear someone wrestling with this in a wider church framework. How do you deal with the issue of homosexual marriage and relating to people? What are the principles we need to stand on? What are the things we need to be flexible on and how do we keep loving one another and showing that attitude of Christ in the midst of making different decisions? The bottom line is we hold to things that are godliness and truth and we need to be wise on the things around it. All right. That was my sideline tangent that I was going to skip over. The last thing there is... Partnering smartly in what lasts forever. It is for the long haul, we want to do it smartly. We're going to be free slaves that work smart. Verses 24 to 27, Paul uses the analogy of the Olympics. How do you gain success at the Olympics? You go into training. Do the swimmers and the runners and the weightlifters and the rowers all do the same training because they're all going to the Olympics. Do they do the same training? No. They train smart, don't they? The marathon runner doesn't need to lift the weights that the weightlifter does. They need different skills and actually if you go back before they even started training those skills, you would have found that they had a bit of a different makeup to themselves. You don't find massive... Big frame dudes and big frame ladies doing the marathon, do you? And you don't find very many weedy people as weightlifters. There's often a, you know, there's there's characteristics. We have a goal in mind: the Olympics. Well, not the Olympics. Heaven, eternity. That's our goal. We want the crown. We want to be there under Christ for all eternity. That's the goal. That's what drives us on. That's what pushes us. But we want to be smart in how we go about it. Paul says in verse 27, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave. Right? I work really hard. I give plenty. So that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. After I've pointed others to Christ, I know I'll be still standing. I make myself a free slave. The challenge is, will we be flexible enough and driven enough to reach the people around us? Is our driving ambition to reach people with the gospel of Jesus so they'll turn and follow him? Do we have confidence enough that God has given us his true word in the Bible so that we keep taking one another back to his word to learn and to grow? knowing that it's through that, through God's word, through the scriptures that he saves and raises people to new and true life. All right. I'm going to do a little exercise. We're thinking about partnering. We're thinking about, I want us to think about how do we do it smarter? What are we trying to do? Trying to mature people. How do we mature people? Only if we're deep in the Word, right? The community of faith need to be deep in the Word. The people of God need to be deep in the Word, right? When we are, we know God. Hearts are being changed. Our minds are being transformed. Lives are being changed. We see people alive in Him. But it have to be planted deep in the Word to start together. Right, We need to be together on the one mission, what the one goal, like the Olympic thing. What's the prize? Right, We want to be united in Christ and his mission. When we are, we see people repenting and turning to Christ in faith. When we are, we'll be longing for God's glory, that people will see who he is properly. We'll be thanking God for, for who we are and what's going on. We'll be praising God for what he's done for us in Christ. We'll be a praying people, deep in the word maturing, together being transformed, and we'll gather together. We'll gather together. This will be a place we want to bring people to, our various gatherings. Why? Because in these gatherings, if we're maturing deep in the word, this will be a place where we're loving one another, where we care for one another, where we work hard at trying to connect with one another, and and building a sense of community. Part of that is the serving, encouraging, enabling, challenging one another, equipping one another for those ministries. Where we do see free slaves running around in sacrificial service, laboring in the Lord. Formal ministries, informal ministries. and Of course, driving out that passion for the lost, that longing for God to be glorified as people come in. And so the word, being deep in the word, mobilises us for mission. It keeps us looking out. And God willing, we see converts, see people coming to, That's a a different way of putting together the whole vision stuff I've been talking about over the the, the weeks and how that works together. Now, uh, that's very quick. Ministers are really slow. I had to go to a whole day conference to sort of half get my head around that. I do it, it, give it to you in three minutes. But feel free to take a photo of that and ask me more questions about it. But I think you'll see more of that coming up in the weeks and months ahead. Now, the exercise. We've been talking about the discipleship path. We've been talking about today how do you make yourself a slave and how do you get in and get your hands dirty. Of that discipleship path, which part of it really are you passionate about? Of those five areas, making that initial contact with people, sitting down and sharing the gospel with others, seeing people brought in and, and become part of God's people, maturing people, or that more training, equipping, challenging, enabling people to get involved in the ministry. Which one of those are you most passionate about? If we, if we did a, a practical experiment and, and uh, put the big sign across here and made everyone get into five lines, which one would you go and line up under? I know some of you want to be in like three or four or five of them, but which one, if you had to just go to one, which one would it be? Let me put a second question with that. You probably can't see all that. I've got it on a bit of paper. You might be able to see it on a bit of paper that I'm going to give out to you in a sec. Listed down the side there are all our different sort of groups that we gather in. We gather at Castle Ray, we gather at Cranbrook, we do it at, gather at Ropes Crossing, we gather at, um, Jordan Springs. We gather with preschoolers, with primary school children, we gather as high school children, we gather as men, we gather as women, we gather as, as adults, and there's a line down there, other, because there might be some other gathering that you go, no, I'm really passionate about that. Where would you, you had to put one cross about, in that whole table. What really are you passionate about? What I've done is I've printed the same thing on both sides of the page. One of them has a bit to put your name and congregation on. I'd love you to tear that off and give it back to me, to put it in the offertory bags when they come around, to help us thinking through. It's not a commitment to doing something in that box. But it's part of me trying to help lead us to be smart. And having, you know, two to three hundred individual conversations about this isn't ever going to happen. This is a way of us helping start conversations and helping us think through, get thinking through how do we smartly partner in ministry in the mission of Christ. I'd love you to fill out that top part. If you really can't find one box, maybe go one, two, three. What's it you're most passionate about? I'll stop talking for, um, 60 seconds, which is hard, and then I'll explain the talents bit at the bottom. Down the bottom, there's, uh, A whole lot of different, I've called it talents. Uh, The Bible often talks about gifts. Depending where you go, gifts get used in all sorts of funny ways in churches. So I just thought we'd go talents. And I did that because I wanted us to think broader than just people up the front teaching or speaking about Jesus. Because actually, we're a body together in many parts. And we need to work together to point people to Jesus. So if you look through that list of talents, you'll see that some of them are those sort of, inverted commas, ministry ones, those teaching type ministries. So there is preaching, speaking, there is teaching, there is evangelism. But there's also some of those things that often would pop up on rosters or more like that with uh, hospitality and serving up the front or serving behind the scenes. Ministry of the tea Tower. You know, some people really do like to do those behind-the-scenes things. I put that on there because I just wanted it to be clear. I want us to think broadly, what are you great at? What are you passionate and able to do? Then there's also practical things. You might be really good with electronic digital stuff. You might be really good with your hands, and that's that's a world where you feel much more comfortable with, or there might be other things. I've just put a range just to get you started thinking. If there's other things, chuck them down. Friends, I wanted us to think, how do we partner together in gospel ministry? And I want us to be seeing that there's lots of doors that can be opened and lots of opportunities. I was speaking to to someone uh, during the week who had been noticing, and it's a conversation I've had with them many times over my 10 years here, uh, noticing people that have come to church with us and being desperate that new people among us aren't left by themselves. And so I was thinking about this and going, well, that's the integrating disciples at the congregation level. Because one of the things that they're passionate about is looking after new people and helping them fit in and feel a part of things. So please, I encourage you, if nothing else, just do the side without the name on it and take it home yourself. I'd love it if you put your name on it and put it in the offertory bags when they come around. But it's not a dialogue... It's not simply a dialogue, Adam, with everybody, is it? Because who are we partnering with? One another. So use it as a prompt to talk over morning tea, to encourage one another. This is your chance to do the engaging in ministry, the serving bit, challenging, equipping, enabling one another to get people thinking about ministry. I think I really like this. And others can encourage you and spur you on there.